This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey guys, it's Laura. And Angela. We are about to start this week's podcast, but first we want to thank our sponsor, Lola. Lola is 100% organic cotton tampons delivered directly to your door. Now guys, talking about tampons, maybe you don't talk about them enough because there's a difference between good tampons that don't have bad stuff in them and crap tampons that I was using for years and I'm no longer using. Yeah, a lot of us do that because a lot of us don't even realize that that bad tampons are even a thing. Yes, but the FDA does not require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their feminine care products. So most of them don't. Most of the brands are putting really bad stuff in their tampons. No good. Major brands mix. uh, uh, They use a mix of synthetic ingredients in their products, including rayon, polyester. Their feminine care products may also be treated with harsh chemical cleansing agents, fragrances, and dyes that are just not good for your hoo-hoo. Lola products, on the other hand, are 100% organic cotton. Yes, it's great. They're good for you. And you know, Angela, I've talked about before, I've done like a whole like cleaning out of all my products. Like I got rid of all my makeup that was bad. I've been using like all green, clean, organic makeup. Mm -hmm. And I did that with all my cleaning products. And like, yeah, I got to do that with what's going physically in my body. And in addition to them just being good for you, I really do love that they are uh, like a delivery thing. It makes so much sense. Why didn't anybody think of this sooner? We get our period every month. We need a monthly subscription service. Show Angela and I one girl. Yes. Show us one girl who has not had that moment where you look into your cabinet and you're like, there are tampons here. And then there aren't. We will call you a liar. We will call you a liar because everyone needs a monthly subscription service of tampons. And Lola makes your month a little bit easier because their subscription is fully customizable. So you can choose your mix of products, your perfect mix of absorbency, your number of boxes, frequency of delivery. It's so, so easy. And guys, we are hooking it up. All you got to do is use our promo code SINGLE for 40% off your first order. Visit mylola.com. Dot com. That's M-Y-L-O-L-A.com. Enter our promo code SINGLE40. That's S-I-N-G-L-E, then the numbers four zero. SINGLE40. SINGLE and then four zero. When you subscribe and you'll get 40% off your order. You can cancel or stop it at any time. So give it a shot. We love their tampons. They're also really pretty. So check them out. Now, now let's start, start the show. show. This is why you're single. Welcome to the This Is Why You're Single podcast. I'm Laura Lane. And I'm Angela Sparrow. We are the co-writers of the book, This Is Why You're Single. Every week we highlight a different dating topic. This week's episode is casual hookups and debunking sex myths. That's right. Also on the lineup, we're talking about what's new in dating news, what goes into a divorce party, and for a better marriage, why you might want to act like you're a single person. Then we're diving into the mailbox to answer a listener question about a woman confused by a hookup who can't get it up. But first, we want to welcome this week's guest. She's been called the Archangel of Sex Positivity. She's an NYC-based sex researcher, writer, and educator. She's a PhD in developmental psychology from Cornell University where she studied how casual sex and promiscuity are linked to health and well-being. She teaches at NYU's psychology department. She studies, writes, and tweets about sex research and co-hosts a podcast called The Science of Sex. Please welcome.
welcome Dr. Jana. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. Um, so you are a casual sex expert. You started the <laughs> Casual Sex Project where people share real stories about casual sex and hookups. What have you learned from this project? We've learned a lot of different things, but I think one of the most, I don't know, most obvious things is that casual sex is so, so incredibly diverse. I think there is a narrative about what casual sex looks like, especially if you're talking about college campuses and there's this notion of hookup culture that involves people getting necessarily drunk when doing it, doing it without much in kind of um, emotion or passion or intimacy involved that you don't talk to the person afterwards. You try to kind of completely distance yourself from whatever happened that you share that with your friends and there are uh, kind of hierarchies of who who hooked up with whom and uh, depending on the status of those people, you know, your status is impacted or whatnot. And so there is a whole script that happens uh, that people kind of have in their minds of what casual sex and hooking up looks like. But what the Casual Sex Project shows with at this point, I think we have something like maybe 3,500 or 4,000 stories uh, from people from all over the world and people who are not just college students, but you know, of all ages and genders and sexual orientations, you find that there are so many different ways to have hookups and experience them. There are amazing stories. There are terrible stories. There are lots of, eh, you know, whatever kinds of stories. And um, yeah, it's not a one singular thing. Did you find it was hard to get people to tell you their stories? Or I guess with 3,500, probably not. People, <laughs> people like must have been like very excited to finally get to talk about things that that are a little taboo. Yeah, I think that you you need a space for people to be able to share stories because that is something that we like to do and it helps us make sense of what we do and why we're doing the things that we do and also making us feel like there are other people who are doing similar things uh, as as what we're doing. And not everybody has the opportunity to to talk about some of these things with their friends, with uh, loved ones, and so on. So this provided a platform for a lot of people, and it's been amazing. I mean, there, there's been no shortage of stories from people from all over and wanting to share. That, that's really cool, because I, I feel like we get a lot of questions from listeners who have a lot of shame associated with mm-hmm. like their casual hookups. Um, which we've tried to like help dispel and like you know make people Mm -hmm. like not feel shame over it but but yeah you're right Right. we do get a lot of emails still and yeah I think people just don't realize how ingrained it is in them I actually we just I read um, an email from a listener today that I uh, some guy had texted her and he saw her Instagram and he was like you seem really family oriented so we're I don't really I don't want to hook up with you like so I was like, That's so on weird. so many levels is that weird because it's you're assuming that people that are family oriented don't hook mm-hmm. up and vice versa. It's just insulting all around. Yep. Yeah. We do tend to have still this very kind of um, uh, dichotomous binary view of hooking up as something that some people do and the people who are more family oriented or marriage material won't do and or often that there are certain times of your life when it's sort of okay to do that, like college Mm -hmm. being that space or spring break or, I don't know, Vegas, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of these these, um, specific times of your life when maybe it's okay, but uh, at other times it's not. So I think we have a very ambivalent 
relationship with casual sex right now. Yeah, and like the funny part is like the older you get, the more comfortable you become in your body mm-hmm. and your sexuality. You yeah, know, that's true. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, like I feel like the times when I was having like you know more like casual sex, like I probably <laughs> wasn't even like my most like confident in in my own mm-hmm. like body or like with my own sexuality. You know, right now should be like the peak, peak. But now I'm married, <laughs> happily married. I don't wish. That I was having casual sex. I am uh, so I, happy I, I'm in my marriage. I'm going to have to correct you that happily married does not necessarily mean monogamously married. So, oh, um, well, we are, monog- are okay. We are monogamously <laughs> married. Okay. There are a lot of happily married people who are happily having casual sex. Very on the true. Side. Very true. I know some of them. I know many of them, and I fully support it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> different strokes for different folks. Exactly. Um. So, but yes, you're you're right. Uh, in fact young people, you know, teens and and uh, college age kind of young adults are having the worst sex of their lives. So if you're in your teens or early 20s, it gets better. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Can, I can attest to that. It was probably, like a lot of it was like the worst sex. I mean, not all of it, but mm-hmm. like, but like probably more than. <laughs> yeah, very often it is because yeah. uh, young people don't really know their bodies yet. They don't know what gets them going what they need you're not always like confident enough to speak exactly even if you know what you want you don't feel confident confident expressing that you often don't have the language to express it which i'm still working i was just gonna say and that can kind of be like a lifetime journey yeah (laughs) yes it is it is but it gets better over time yeah it definitely does Um, so you also talk a lot about a term that you call mostly heterosexual so we we were curious if you could explain what that is and like if it's different than the Kinsey scale or how it's different, or if it's like kind of the same thing. Mostly straight is... And maybe like explain what the Kinsey scale is. Well, this Kinsey scale, actually you would probably do a better job. <laughs> Should we test your knowledge of the Kinsey I scale? I mean, I know it's like what, one through seven, right? Zero to six. Or zero yes. to six. Right? Yeah, it's close enough. But, but yeah, yeah. If, you count it, if you count zero as a one, yeah, you're so right. Sure. Exactly. Thank you, you still have seven yeah, points along the scale. That was very nice of you, Laura. <laughs> um, so it's like one extreme or the other. It's like either you can, on one end of the spectrum, you're entirely straight. On the other end, you're entirely gay. And then a lot of people fall somewhere in the middle. Yes. Very good. Thanks. You I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, I took a sexuality course in college. So pretty much an expert. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yes. So the mostly straights are people who would kind of be the Kinsey ones, maybe Kinsey twos on that scale. So if the Kinsey zeros are the completely, absolutely 100% straight, then the Kinsey ones would be maybe even the Kinsey twos, the people who are predominantly heterosexual, but there is some non-negligible kind of attraction or awareness of some sort of interest in the same sex. And we have been studying these people, uh, the mostly straights, because very often they get kind of lumped together with either the the Kinsey zeros, the completely straight, or they kind of get lumped in together with the other kind of bisexual or even just like all the non-heterosexuals. And you don't know whether they are different in some ways than um, either of these two groups. And what our research has shown is that they are indeed different. They should not be treated the same as heterosexuals because they have this extra layer of attraction toward the same sex, which can mean different things to different people. But um, they also have different kinds of behaviors and they tend to be, for example, more um, higher on things like sensation seeking and 
Uh, they tend to have more partners than than heterosexual folks, and uh, yeah, they 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 do. In some ways, we found also higher rates of some kind of um, mental health issues and um, other differences in the way they've grown up. So it's a I don't know it's a it's a it's a it's it's one of those points along the Kinsey scale and. We do know now that, um, having studied them, that there are a lot more of them than we think. There, in fact, there are a lot more people on that Kinsey one or two along the uh, spectrum than there are gay people, than there are bisexual people, like really kind of more substantially bisexual, and even probably depending on the sample that you look at, there might be more mostly straights than there are bi's and gays combined. So it's a pretty sub- substantial group of people. So yeah, would you, so it's like mostly yeah, mostly straights. Um, that's I th- I find that really fascinating because I feel like growing up at least in like high school and college, there wasn't like nobody really talked about like this spectrum. It was like no. oh you're gay mm. or oh you're straight and like that was it or bisexual I guess. Right. But, like even but even bisexual like it's hard for bisexual people. A lot of people are very dismissive of mm-hmm. that even as a sexuality. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, people aren't even ready for the mostly heterosexuals, I guess. <laughs> where yeah. Where do you fall on the Kinsey? Well, so I always I I correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that most people are not a zero or a six. Like most people do fall somewhere in between. Is that true? Not necessarily. Okay. Not if you ask people. Most people will say that they're a zero. But is that accurate, or is that just what? Well, we. I mean, that's what people say. say. And we in in younger um so the newer generations, there are definitely more and more people identifying with the one and two. Uh, but it's not necessarily true that everybody's kind of on the spectrum and very few people are zeros and sixes. It seems like men are somewhat more likely to be either or and women are somewhat more likely to be somewhere in between. Uh, but there are certainly both men and women who find themselves in the zero and the six. Yeah. I wonder why do you think that is, that men are mostly <laughs> at one end or the other? There's some thinking around male sexuality being somewhat more fixed, uh, both in terms of biological determination and also some early experiences that may place men wherever they are, not just in terms of sexual orientation, but in terms of some other interests or preferences, like uh, there's some research on sexual fetishes that may develop pretty early on for men and kind of stay there, whereas female sexuality tends to be somewhat more fluid, more plastic, if you will, more susceptible to uh, later experiences, to environments in which they're placed. Uh, in response to their partners or you know other social norms and and so on, so to whatever, I I, I think uh, you know nothing in sexuality is either or. So it's not like all men are fixed and all women are completely fluid. Right. But it does seem to uh, have some more flexibility for women than men. I really wish I would have known about this early on. Like, <laughs> why? Like, How would have that changed? No, you? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm definitely like probably like a one or a two. Like, there were a few times in parties in high school and college where I would make out with girls, and I think I probably just like enjoyed it more than <laughs> some of my friends I was making out with. But like, definitely ninety percent of the people I'm attracted to, maybe like yeah, like eighty five, no ninety, I would say, are men. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, for you. 
Yeah. That's your, everybody's sexuality is just complex and different. Yeah. <laughs> so, what what so about Angela you? Angela never you, answered yeah, the question. You, oh, <laughs> never answered. So the weird thing is like, I guess I'm a zero because like I've, my, my experiences are only with men and I generally, I've never like really been attracted to a woman, but I, I would never, <laughs> I would never close myself off to the possibility <laughs> in the future. Oh, Who great. Knows? So you're like a 0.5. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. If like, it was, it was like, a, it would probably be a butch lady that I would go really? for. Really? Yeah. I know you like more of like a femme lady. It was definitely like, like, I, I don't, is this term still like, uh, appropriate to say like lipstick lesbians is that offensive now I don't, I don't know I can't, but I, I can't keep up yeah <laughs> I don't think it is it's I mean a, some people might find it yeah but, but yeah I, I know what you mean uh but yeah it was definitely like it was like hot chicks yeah <laughs> but like if, if it, have, have you guys ever seen the l word the show the l word no, no, really there, there was there was a character named Shane and she was she had like swag I was like I could get with Shane oh okay <laughs> so, and she was she yeah was I mean a lot of side. our sexual orientation is so there's a big uh, there's a big kind of debate about what exactly is sexual orientation about. Are we talking about genitals? Like, are you attracted to a particular set of genitals? Are you attracted to secondary sexual characteristics, like the things that, uh, you know, the cheeks and beards and like, those kinds of things that differentiate adult males from adult females that, um, and to whatever extent is that physical level of masculinity or femininity, like secondary sexual characteristics. And of course, women who are more typically masculine in that physical way would be, you know, if you're, if you're attracted to mas- masculinity, then you'd be attracted right. to them and, and vice versa. Uh, or then is it about psychological masculinity and femininity, the kinds of personality traits and um, behaviors or whatever that are more typical of men and women. So, it's all very interesting. It really is. Humans are cool sometimes. Yeah. When we're not and being very, terrible. Very complex. <laughs> this is true. Um, Dr. Jana, I'm curious, what is it like to to be someone who dates as a sex researcher? Like for you, <laughs> going out there in the world, you like have this wealth of knowledge. I don't know. Is that, do you find that like people are intimidated by that? Like, does it put more pressure? What, what are you like always analyzing everything when you're on a date? <laughs> Oh, that's such a loaded question. There's so many (laughs) layers to that. It is, on one hand, exhausting. Everybody always wants to talk about what I do. People I want to date and people I don't want to date and everybody in between. So there's that. You always have to manage to what extent I feel like talking about work. And then, of course, everybody always comes to me with all their sexual issues and problems and thoughts and um, all of that. In terms of... Dating, and I date mostly men too, so I find that th- there are different kinds of men. Some of the men are really, really excited. They are like, I hit the jackpot, I'm going to learn everything, and this is going to be amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And and so they're super excited. And then there are other men who do feel intimidated by that and yeah. feel like, my masculinity might be in question here. You know, yeah. she knows more than I do or she's more experienced than, than I am in our culture where the man is supposed to be the more experienced, the more assertive, the more knowledgeable. That can be a little, a little intimidating, yeah. So, Do you online date? Yeah. Do you put it in your profile? That I do, yeah. It says I'm a sex researcher, educator, podcaster, and we'll, we can talk about my work in person. That's, That's great because yeah. then like it like weeds out people that I mean hopefully if you do if you do get somebody that's intimidated by what you do it's like 
well, dude, I told you. Yeah, like, you know, right. like you swiped right. So exactly. So get your confidence and, yeah. up. And I have a PhD, right? So yeah. it also says people who are not intimidated by women yeah. with PhDs. Hopefully they don't <laughs> nice. get, yeah, they can't get intimidated because you put, you put it out there. So <laughs> they've I, been warned. I like that you say, let's talk about it in person too, because that avoids like, if people can't follow that simple rule, then you already know right off the bat that they're right. like, I know. creeping. If they start like, sending you creeper messages you're like look i said we're talking about sex in person so if you have the balls it, 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 it's also a lot of uh, wasted time if they cause a lot of people i don't know all of a sudden start asking questions about my my work over text i'm like dude we haven't even met in person like yeah. i'm not gonna spend hours answering your questions over text when like, we haven't even met in real life if you want to pay me for like an hourly right, rate exactly. i do private sex ed i do do yeah, private exactly. lessons but like i'm not <laughs> i did not join tinder for to give out like free advice exactly. we, we had a listener remember we had a listener who uh told guys that they could venmo her for for advice on their profiles oh yeah Which is, and people <laughs> people send her a dollar Wow. Yeah. Okay. No, I think it was like five Was it five dollars? I think it was like five dollars. Good. She Don't gave, sell yourself short. She five dollars. Re- <laughs> she gave really good advice too on like people's profiles. So like, oh, when in doubt, hilarious. you could put. Let's talk about this in person, or you can Venmo me <laughs> my hourly rate of five hundred dollars an hour. Right. Yeah. You have a PhD. You can charge a little you more. Can, you can add two zeros to the end <laughs> of what our listener was charging. It's actually only like two hundred. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, I do do actually. I do do private sex ed classes so if you want your private uh, sex professor uh, instead of uh, enrolling in uh, a class at NYU you can uh, come to me and I'll answer all your questions that's awesome they can contact you through your website not through your tinder yes yes please do find me (laughs) at drjana.com not on tinder keep it profesh (laughs) Um, and and Jana is spelled Z-H-A-N-A for those of you seriously considering this so D-R-Z-H-A-N-A Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, your latest research project is called Play! Exclamation point, and it's an online survey about sex play parties, which we love to talk about on the podcast and the people do who attend know. them. We which, do. We're fascinated. We've never we talked, attended we unless talked you to, have since the last no, time we talked. No, no, yeah. no sex parties. But uh, but we did talk about them with with Kenneth. Kenneth, mm-hmm. Doctor, or sorry, Kenneth. not Doctor Kenneth Play, who <laughs> who, in, who introduced us to you. He's yeah. an honorary doctor in my book. Yes. He's your he's your friend, yeah. Doctor of Love, <laughs> Doctor of Love and and pleasure, which was like one of our most popular episodes. Was like, it? You guys oh. are really into squirting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, our listeners love squirting. They yeah, loved well, our Kenneth epi- is yes is a master of squirting. Yeah, they loved our squirting episode with Kenneth, um, and he's your bestie. So yes, this he is, is perfect and business um, partner in in many endeavors. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he talked about how he became the popular guy at sex parties by learning how to make mm-hmm. ladies squirt, which I thought was, you know, a nice party trick. It's <laughs> a great party trick for, for sex parties. Yeah. So what have you learned from this project? <laughs> so the play party project is something that we did not do with Kenneth, even though he is very experienced with sex parties and he may have organized one or two of the parties that we got some some participants from, but that's a project that I did with a colleague at Widener University, Brooke, Dr. Brooke Wells, and we're still in the process of analyzing and writing it up. So I don't have any published data to share with you, but uh, it's a it's a fascinating data set. I, we have uh, something like 1,500 people who've been to a play party at least once in the past 12 months in the U.S., and the diversity of those kinds of experiences and parties is quite remarkable uh, there. Yeah, so we looked at things like 
what are the character like the demographic characteristics of people who go and what kinds of sexual activities happen and uh, whether condoms are being used and what kind of substances are being used. Um, we looked at consent practices and how often those get broken. And so I could talk about this for literally two hours at least. I want to know the answer to all of those. I know. Yeah, but you can't have it all. Sorry. <laughs> I can't. Because well, you're, you're still writing it up. Is that why? Well, also because we don't have two hours just right. for that. So I think one of the greatest fears that people have about sex parties is that their their boundaries are going to, sexual boundaries are going to be breached in some way, that people are going to be uh, grabbing them or imposing on them some sort of sexual acts that they don't want to engage in or that they're going to feel pressure to do something in some way. And I'm happy to report that that was a very, very uncommon experience oh. for our participants that there were very few. So we asked them about their most recent play party that they attended and whether there was some sort of consent violation. And few, something like 8% or so said that they had experienced a consent violation. And then when we probed a little bit into what those violations were, there were actually, most of them were quite minor. It was like someone touching their... Uh, shoulder without asking by mistake or something like that. And so uh, very, it was, yeah, the, the number of people who were actually kind of distressed or uh, felt pressured uh, to do something was extremely low. So it seems, and then we did some more follow-up interviews with people, especially people who've experienced sexual assault and victimization. And they said that virtually all of their experience of sexual assault, victimization, and uh, coercion and pressure happen outside of the play party context, that they feel extremely safe. And in, in fact, one of the safest environments that they find themselves in um, is, is the play party context. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, I would imagine weirdly that people that attend sex parties, probably this is like an interest to them. They're probably actually very well read on like things like On consent the rules. And yeah. So Yeah. It may make sense to me that it would be a safe Yeah, I mean, space. those are parties that have organizers, that have moderators, that have rules, and so people are being informed of these rules. And They want to be let back in. Exactly. Right. They want to come back in. <laughs> they want to be invited yeah. again. Right, and if you create some issues for people, then you're not going to get invited in. That was one like, thing that Kenneth told us that I found surprising was that, like, you could just go and watch and like, as oh, long yeah. as you're not being like creepy about it, mm -hmm. right. you know, like he was like doing it in like, I don't know, he's very like a stealth smooth <laughs> kind of guy. Um, like people are happy to have you watch. That's like the voyeurism's like, you know, part of the draw. Yeah, so, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah, You do not have to. In fact, I often will um, advise people who are interested in this, even couples who might be interested in exploring a little bit of openness. I feel like go to a party and don't do anything. Just go and watch and see how that feels and see how you feel in that environment. And then maybe go and play with just each other and nobody else and do you know get a little bit of that excitement through exhibitionism, but not actually engaging in any kind of sexual activity with other people. So your next anniversary day, Angela. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it saves me the planning. I like not having to think about these there things. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk more later on in the podcast about popular sex myths. We're going to get them all debunked. But first, we're going to take a really quick sponsor break, and then we're going to jump into what's in the news. We would like to thank our sponsor, True Religion. Do you guys have a hard time finding the perfect fitting jeans that are also comfortable? I know that I do. So do I. I don't know anybody that doesn't. Well, check out True Religion because they have so many different sizes and fits and shapes 
They fit all shapes from size 23 to 38, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I've been on the hunt for the perfect pair of overalls, and I got some awesome denim overalls from True Religion recently. I also got a nice cardigan from them. It's like a really long gray one. I don't know. They got some cute stuff. Check them out. Yeah, they have stuff that isn't jeans also. But uh, their jeans are moi. They're great. That, like Laura said, fit is their focus. True Religion believes that no matter your body type or your style, there's a true fit for you. They have a couple different styles called the Jenny, the Hallie, and the Billy. Fun names. Yeah, these are like skinny, high rise, boot cut, straight, and retro inspired with wide legs. Really fun. Also, True Religion isn't just jeans. Like we said, they have t-shirts, dresses, jackets. Laura has a great cardigan. They even have umbrellas. They got it all. Are you ready to get the perfect fitting, most comfortable, most flattering pair of jeans? Right now, True Religion is giving our listeners 20% off your entire purchase when you use our code SINGLE at checkout. So do what we did. Go to truereligion.com and enter our code SINGLE for 20% off your entire order. Angela, what have you been reading about in the news? Okay, so I was reading Huffington Post, a piece by Sabrina Rojas Weiss. She wrote about uh, divorce parties, the trend <laughs> that makes ending a marriage look fun. Have you guys heard of divorce parties? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've heard of them. Um, I've, I've heard of them from like covering celebrity divorces and they would like throw <laughs> divorce parties yeah they mentioned um people like sh- how do you say her name shona mokler Trav- shona mokler shona mokler yeah yeah she's the with married the blink 182 drummer travis barker i know my yeah um, thank you entertainment reporter i know my moklers um yeah apparently she had like a a, a cake with like a bride stabbing something that's more of an aggressive route yeah. that you can take um this bride in canada recently went viral for she had all her friends through her party and they all wore their wedding dresses um they were popping bottles um there's this woman christine gallagher who like her speciality is planning divorce parties <laughs> um she says that she's seen people burn dresses oh my God. <laughs> she's had people burn their marital bed which she says, <laughs> that fine. Seems, just, that seems dangerous. Yeah, she's like, just be safe about it if you're going to do that. Um, they interviewed some relationship experts if like, you know, these things are healthy, whatever. Um, so the uh, experts actually said that the more healthy way to deal with it is not the sh- blood bloody knife wielding, wielding bride cake of the Blink-182 yeah, lady. Um, it's because you have to keep in mind that there are people in your life that are probably still going to be in touch with your ex. If you have kids, that's also something to keep in mind. So she says, celebrate your new sense of freedom, but the people getting divorced should take into account other people's feelings here as well. So many times uh, couples share people in common. So... Um, you really have to be mindful of who you're inviting and what you do at these parties. But even, I don't know, that's not the thing that I would have thought about. Like, oh, people might still be friends with your ex. I think it's it, it's much more important that you're doing this not out of anger. Yeah. Yes. That you've worked through that anger and, you know, you, you're putting it behind you. I think it's a super healthy way of starting a new chapter in your life than, and celebrating the ending of a big part of your life um yeah. yeah yeah and that's why another person they interviewed actually suggested maybe instead of doing like the divorce party like take a trip or join a new club or uh like you know make it something to note a new beginning in your life it's more or less of an angry way to go about things but you can still celebrate i mean parties are about celebration if you right. throw a wedding uh, celebration to celebrate your new marriage why not throw a divorce party to celebrate your new singledom, new singledom. Yeah. exactly although 
I think it's a much better way of going about things. I wish people have more people had the luxury of, of doing this, of having amicable kinds of breakups and doing things like uncoupling um, parties and ceremonies, which actually Kenneth Play did with his former girlfriend, where oh, really? they had this beautiful uncoupling ceremony where uh, they celebrated their relationship of something like four years or so with all the amazing pictures of things that they'd done together. And wow. they gave each other these you know, beautiful kind of thoughts about having all the good things that they had shared and uh, done for, for one another. And now it was time to move on and do their own thing. Mm -hmm. And they were still going to stay friends and be in each other's lives. That sounds very emotional. Yeah, that's kind of beautiful. Uh, it was absolutely yeah. beautiful. You know, people gave Gwyneth Paltrow a lot of a lot of crap when she was talking about conscious uncoupling. But if if you can manage it, mm -hmm. if you're in a if you're going through an amicable breakup, why not? I think also the the people from the White Stripes did the same thing. Yeah, they had Good. mentioned this Good. article. I'm, yeah, I'm glad that we're seeing more more of that because we, I know we have this narrative about relationships that unless they end with someone's death that they have failed and that some someone always has to be in uh, in the wrong and that there's got to be, I don't know, all this like anger and frustration and hatred and you're guilty and I'm not guilty or whatever. And I think it, it would be a much healthier way of thinking about relationships for all of us if we had a more open-ended way of, okay, you know, it's fine. If, if relationship ended, it's not the end of the world. It's not it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing is just it ran its course and now it's time for something else and to celebrate the good things hopefully there were good things about their relationship mm -hmm. otherwise you wouldn't have been with that person for as long as you were absolutely right. yeah it's very interesting it is what are you reading about laura uh kind of the opposite of your article <laughs> Uh, awesome. So what I've been reading is a story in the New York Times by Stephanie Kontz called For a Better Marriage, Act Like a Single Person. And she gives a list of reasons why acting like a single person is better for you. But first, I want to give a little background. She writes, no matter how much Americans may value marriage, we now spend more time living single than ever before because people are marrying later in life. In many ways, that's good news for marriages and married people. Because contrary to some claims, marrying at an older age generally lowers the risk of divorce. It also gives people some time to acquire educational and financial assets, as well as develop a broad range of skills, which might help you practice how to be better in marriage. Because it turns out you should act like you're single. So the idea is that if you've had more time being single, you'll also be better in in marriage. Um, so here are a list of things that she, I, I chose six of them that she mentions in the article. The first one is the gist is be a social person and you won't die. She says <laughs> single people generally have wider social networks than married couples who tend to withdraw into their coupledom. On average, unmarried people interact more frequently with friends, neighbors, coworkers, uh, and extended family and health researchers have reported that maintaining high levels of, of being very social protects against early mortality and it provides just as much protection against early mortality as quitting smoking. Does this surprise either one of you guys? No, not at all. Humans are a very social species. We need connections to survive and loneliness, especially that subjective sense of isolation and loneliness is... Yeah, it kills us. It, it It is correlated with earlier death, with higher rates of all sorts of physical and mental health issues. So, yeah, absolutely. Social connections rock. Yeah, I find that yeah. I'm more happy when I'm when I'm being 
very social. Uh, she also says, number two, I wrote, being a good, happy single person means you'll be a happy couple person. And she writes, indeed, people who are successful as singles are especially likely to end up in happy marriages in the large part because of the personal and social resources they developed before marrying. Um, one study of nearly 17,000 people found that almost 80% of those who married had reported the same levels of well-being four years before their marriage as they reported four years after. So I think like the gist is like, if you're a happy person when you're single, you'll also be a happy person when you're married. And like, I think I see this a lot with friends who they're like kind of miserable because they're like, oh, like I hate being single. And they're like, and then they like assume like, oh, your life must be perfect because you're married, Laura. And it's like, it's like, no, I mean like my, I was happy before I was married. <laughs> so yes, I'm happy as I'm married. And they, they, they see me happy and they think it's because I'm married. It's like, well, no, like if you're a happy person before, you'll be a happy person still, right? Like you're, you've got a PhD, right? Is this, <laughs> this isn't rocket science. Yeah, you're right. And, and Stephanie Kuntz is right. She has a PhD too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess the, the whole theme is just not having your happiness correlated with your relationship status. Like the same thing that was making you happy when you were single is the thing that should be making you happy when you're really in a relationship. Yeah, I think a lot of people are hoping that a relationship is going to kind of save them from their misery and is going to bring all this happiness that they don't, don't otherwise have. But if you don't have other people that make you happy, then chances are that relationship is not going to contribute that much to it. I mean, you can certainly add things, you know, we, 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 there are certain things that we miss when, and many people miss when they don't have a romantic relationship, obviously sexual um, pleasure and satisfaction, very often intimacy and touch, even if it's non-sexual, it's something that, particularly here in the U.S., people often don't have from That's friends true. and relatives, After which is day, very sad. Oh, sometimes all I want is just like, is just for like Nick to just give me a hug and hold me and mm-hmm. just like the cuddle and the touch. And like, if I don't have that, yeah, that, that is a bummer. Yeah. That's but a good point. If, if you're as a single person, you can create a, a life for you that does involve that from friends or relatives or, you know, other ways of getting that met. Yeah. Um, Actually, we wrote, remember we wrote in our book, your life should be like a game and then the relationship is just an expansion pack. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's true. Um, You can have hugs in your game. Yeah. Um, Okay. So another thing she writes is stay independent even when you're coupled. She wrote the people with the most distress and unhappiness were not necessarily single people, you know, over married people. The saddest people that, you know, in these tests were though or studies were those who were previously married, especially the most recently divorced or widowed. So like, so like meaning like you're sadder divorced and widowed than you are single. Does that make sense? So she writes, this suggests an intriguing possibility. Uh, This is from Ohio State University sociologist Christy Williams. Many of the problems experienced by divorced and widowed people may result not so much from the end of the marriage as from having relied too much on their spouse and thus failing to maintain social networks and the skills of self-reliance. This is because, in Professor Chopik's research, single older people with solid friendships, whether married or never married, were just as happy and healthy as married individuals. So... Like, you know, this kind of just reinforces, like, the, you know, the first two, which is just maintain your social networks, because, like, shit hits the fan, <laughs> like, you won't be as sad, you know? And independence. There is this um, cute little test that, that researchers, re- relationship 
researchers will uh, do when they ask you <clears throat> if, if you're in a relationship and they'll give you these two, you know, like uh, images of two people, two circles, one b- representing you, one representing your partner, and they ask you how, how much do you think they overlap? And they give you kind of a, a bunch of different options where your circle and the, your partner's circle are very far apart, where they're a little closer but still not overlapping, when they're kind of just touching, when they're overlapping a little bit overlapping like half and completely overlapping and oh, wait, I want to take this test <laughs> <No>. <laughs> this sounds very fun it's a single question test it's not really like a big oh. test it's just one oh th- just that, one that's it but it's each like, answer means something different well about- it, it 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 asks you to choose what represents your relationship with your partner the best oh right how is big is the areas overlap? or just like in general no it's just in general oh. and that and, would be hard <laughs> <laughs> just over, overall how much do you feel like your identity as as you overlaps with your partner's identity and how much are you basically completely one versus completely two separate people. And probably the, the healthiest uh, version of that is when you have some overlap and maybe a, you know, a decent amount of overlap, but you're still maintaining a, a sense of individuality. That's something like I, I try to remind people and that I still even struggle with is not having your partner be like every single thing to you like Mm. like it's a lot of pressure on somebody to be your best friend your lover give you work advice like uh i don't don't know you know like like Mm -hmm. there's like five other Mm -hmm. you know there's five other categories that you need like also filled and if they have to feel like they have to fulfill every single one of those categories like that's a lot yeah your relationship will suffer yeah yeah there's a lot of research on that coming out lately that people have over the years, started to expect more and more and more and more of their one partner. I believe it. Yeah. I and believe that's it. kind of suffocating relationships because it's completely unrealistic to expect that this one person is going to satisfy all your needs. Yeah. Because, yeah, the, you know, like the why we get married has evolved so much. And like, you know, back in the day, that wasn't the case. It was like a little bit more contractual and like, mm-hmm. and they didn't have to also be your best friend and, yep. and everything else, you know? So... Actually, the woman who wrote that article, Stephanie Kunz, she has an amazing book about marriage and the history of marriage. Uh, oh, we'll yeah. have to check that out. <laughs> yeah. We'll get her on the podcast. Uh, okay, so there's three more points that I found really interesting that I wanted to, to that she had in the article. They all kind of have to do with being more social, but she writes that, you know, hanging with friends like you're single actually decreases your depression. So a 2017 study found that when people socialize more frequently with good friends, they not only report fewer depressive symptoms themselves, but so do their partners. So this is what like really stuck out to me. People feel better when their spouses have good friendships over and above the effects of their own friendships. So like you're so like, and I love this because, you know, like Nick will go on his uh, like poker tournament, like, and I'm like, yes, go, go make friends, be, have fun. And like, he used to invite me to like poker nights, but I would often like, I went to like the first couple. And then at some point I was like, you know, you know what? That's like your boy's night. So I, I really liked reading this mm-hmm. because I like when things validate what I'm doing <laughs> and make me feel good about myself. Um, uh, and then the other point was you need people to gossip with. And this is also <laughs> something very validating for myself. Uh, she writes that another example of how friendships can benefit a marriage, happily married wives who experience conflicts in their marriage generally feel closer to their husbands when they can discuss and reframe the issue with a good friend, which is why I'm so happy I have Angela to do that with. Exactly. Sorry, Nick, that I know. <laughs> yeah, secrets. Yes. Apologies, Ian. I know all your secrets, too. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you just you need a bud 
to to vent to. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so I, I liked the yeah. <laughs> Gossiping is good is what I read from this article. <laughs> Again, research that validates things that we do anyway. Yeah, and then the last point was you can get sick of hanging out with just your partner is essentially the gist. She writes, people enjoy doing activities with their partners and friends together more than with only their spouse. I also feel validated because Nick and I did two double dates last <laughs> week. We have another one planned this weekend. Wow. So and this means that we're going to have a perfect beautiful marriage clearly because we've just been like double dating up the wahoo <laughs> i think the reoccurring theme with all this stuff is just not making your your romantic partner the center of your universe which i think is really good advice all right we are about to jump into our mailbox where we've got a great question for dr jana to help us answer but first let's take a quick break to thank some of our sponsors <laughs> We would like to thank our sponsor, Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. We've said before, it turned little Angel Sparrow into Chef Spera. Yes, I cook to relax now. It used to stress me out, but now I have fun when I do it. Also, you guys can have fun because all of their meals can be cooked in other for under 45 minutes or less, which is about the length of one of our podcasts. So, you know, throw in one of our podcasts on speaker on your phone or if you've got like fancy speakers, whatever, while you're cooking Blue Apron. It's like a great way to listen to us and do a little cooking. Yep. The time will pass like nothing and then you get to eat a delicious meal. Uh, Blue Apron meals are super convenient and they provide a lot of variety. Blue Apron delivers fresh pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step -step recipes right to your door that can be cooked in under 45 minutes, just like Laura said. The menu changes every week based on what's in season and is designed by Blue Apron's in-house culinary team. And if you have a busy schedule, no problem. They're flexible. Blue Apron offers 12 new recipes each week and customers can pick two, three, or four recipes based on what, what best fits their schedule. Yep, they're so great. And Blue Apron is treating This Is Why You're Single listeners to $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash single. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off at blueapron.com slash single. Blue Apron, a, a better, better way, way to cook. cook. We would like to thank our sponsor, brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is luxury bedding underpriced. They're great sheets. And guys, you spend a third of your life on your sheets. They make a difference with how you sleep. So you should start getting better sleep with better sheets. You also do other things in your sheets, like hook up. Yeah, you do. You want to be comfy when you do that. You want to be comfy when you do the deed. And, you know, I was using Brooklyn and way before they were a sponsor. When we moved into our new apartment, I got them for both my master and my little guest room. And I love the sheets. So I'm like a genuine customer. <laughs> yeah. And you can really feel the difference with Brooklyn and sheets. I have two sets of sheets in my apartment. And I know when I'm sleeping on my Brooklyn and sheets because it's just such a better experience. I just like slide into bed. It's like smooth and comfy and I fall right to sleep. They're really cute. I also use them for my comforter because they have like the things that go over comforters. I don't know the terminology, guys. A duvet. I just, thank you. Cover. The, du the duvet cover. I got the duvet covers. Me I like too. to have it be like all the same pattern, but Angela likes to mix it up. That's right. I do. I have the window pane pattern for my comforter and then I have some nice gray sheets. So if you want to zhuzh up your bed, 
Go to Brooklinen. They have no unnecessary markups and fees. Most bedding is marked up as much as 300%, but not Brooklinen. Insane, insane, insane. Brooklinen sheets were named the winner of the best online bedding category by Good Housekeeping. So you know they're good. They also have versatile colors and patterns you can mix and match to complement any decor. My Brooklinen sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've slept on. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use our promo code THISISWHY at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use our promo code THISISWHY at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code this is why. It's different from our other promo codes, so make sure you do this is why. W H Y. Yes, Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. All right, Angela, what do we have in the mailbox for Dr. Jana to help us answer? Okay, we have a, an email from one of our anonymous listeners. This anonymous listener writes. So about mid-January 2017, I hooked up with a guy that I just met, but that I share a ton of mutual friends with. I assumed he just wanted wanted it to be a one-night stand and didn't really talk to him after the hookup. It's not like I avoided him. I just didn't see him much and didn't try to. However, then in September 2017, we had a birthday party for his older brother, and I ended up hooking up with the guy for a second time. Just like the first time, I assumed he was just looking for a one-night stand, so we didn't really talk much afterwards. Then him and his roommates had a New Year's Eve party to bring in 2018, and I ended up staying the night, and we hooked up again. The thing is, every time we've hooked up, he had struggled to get it up because of alcohol. So in all honesty, it made for a really good night for me, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so I guess he went down on her. Um, and so, I didn't get that at first. I know. Laura was like, really? what does she mean? Angela yeah. had to explain it. All right. So... <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> um, and she says, and some amazeball cuddling afterwards. But the fact that this happened three times kind of makes me wonder if he's actually interested in me because he's the one making all of the moves to lead to hooking up, but he's not getting much out of it. I thought about just asking him what his thoughts are on why we keep coming back to each other. However, I'm not a bold or aggressive person. Any thoughts? <laughs> so many thoughts. <laughs> well, imagine if this was the opposite scenario right, right. Where, where you have a guy and a girl hooking up three times and he always comes and she doesn't come which is typical for a lot of which women happens <laughs> all the damn time women do this and they go back to these hookups where they don't come all the damn time so it's really not that surprising it's only surprising because we have this myth if you want to talk about myths that you know men only enjoy sex if they uh, orgasm or that they are um, supposed to have an orgasm every time they have sex, uh, and 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 that's that's ridiculous. It's, Some guys might get turned on by by getting you off. A, a lot of good guys are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, imagine that. <laughs> what a radical thought. <laughs> but yes, so there are many other reasons why you might want to have some sort of sexual experience with with a person that does not involve oh great uh, coming like cuddles like the sex, the emotional intimacy or the physical intimacy, the stuff that we just talked about, like just cuddling with someone and not going home alone at the end of the evening, that is, you know, a pretty nice thing to have. Uh, the, the feeling that you are desired by somebody, that you're found attractive and desirable enough that someone wants to get naked with you and do some stuff. And also if there's alcohol involved, then 
it's not surprising that he might be struggling with an erection. And also some guys, even young guys, do have some uh, level of erectile difficulty. And so he might have erectile uh, issues. That does not prevent him from wanting to be close physically, sexually with, uh, with another person. Now, to what extent he actually likes her as something more than just a random hookup whenever they find each other at a, at a party that I don't know. I mean, that's obviously something that should probably be discussed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a bolder, aggressive person. That's another thing that is really interesting. Aggressive. Really? You, you need to be an aggressive person to ask someone what their interest in you is. No, I, you just need to be a curious person. <laughs> Who wants to know? Yeah, I mean, it but I think so many certain, girls have it in mm-hmm, their head mm-hmm. that like I'm going to come off as creepy or desperate or whatever if I just ask this simple question. But you can say it like in like a fun way, like you and I keep hooking up. What's at, like, up here? Like, mm-hmm. what is the deal? Are you like into me, or are you just like hooking up with me? Because I'm cool with both. Because uh, clearly, I keep having casual <laughs> sex with you, so I'm cool. Mm-hmm. With, but like, also, like I would be interested to date you because I like you. You know, like right. So just let me know what your deal is because I'm cool with either or whatever, however yeah, you want to yeah, say it. That would be one way of doing it. Yeah. She also doesn't even necessarily say that she wants, wants a relationship. To, yeah. So <laughs> if she does just want to hook up, this is actually a great situation for her. Yeah. She doesn't <laughs> have to bring up anything. And uh, and then she should just be super happy with the situation because she keeps getting off. And like, you know, people and say. And he seems happy too. People, <laughs> he's coming back. Yeah. People say actions speak louder than the words. Actions speak louder than erections. <laughs> he keeps coming back to you. Erection or no erection. So And he keeps so, going down on you, which is more than a lot of women get in yes. these casual hookups so yeah so you go girl <laughs> you go that girl our <laughs> oral sex and cuddles hell yeah 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 um, you win <laughs> we hope that was helpful um if any of you guys listening want your questions answered or if you have any funny messages that you want to share you can email us at contact at this is why your single show.com you can also find all of our contact info on our website at this is why your single show.com now let's dive into our reason of the week This week's reason is casual hookups and debunking sex myths. The first is a myth about asexuality. What is a myth that you have heard? Yeah, that they don't have any kind of sexual interests or desires and that they don't masturbate. And so they get really, really surprised when they hear that a pretty substantial minority and maybe even not a minority depends, depends on the sample, but sometimes anywhere between like 20, 30 and 50% of people who identify as asexual also say that they masturbate. They masturbate less often usually than sexual people and obviously fewer uh, asexuals percentage-wise say that they masturbate than, than sexual people, but absolutely. So asexuality is primarily the... It's, it's unclear exactly what is going on. There might be various different reasons why some people uh, identify themselves as asexual. So there might be a couple of different things, things going on for different people. But the one common denominator that asexuality has is lack of attraction to other people. And sometimes that goes with lack of sexual drive whatsoever, and sometimes it goes with some level of sexual interest and desire and fantasy. Uh, so, but but not with other people, just with themselves. And you said people on the theme of masturbation. There are also some people that write to you and wonder if they're masturbating too much. Yes. Is that <laughs> so? Is that possible? Oh Can you masturbate <laughs> too much? Yeah. The the too much question. And this is either like, am I? 
you know, I get these questions all the time. Like I masturbate this many times a week or day or month, or I watch porn this many times a day or week or month. Is it too much? And it's almost impossible to answer that question. There is no right number of times to masturbate or amount of time that you should spend watching porn or, or uh, having sex with partners or anything, right? Though, what is the right amount of any of those activities? It depends on who you are, how much you want to be having it. You know, is it affecting your uh, other aspects of your life? Are you not getting your work done because you're you're masturbating or watching porn or having sex all the time are you harming other people in the process like the people around you who might be wanting your attention and so on and how you feel about it and <clears throat> um there that kind of bleeds into this question of sex addiction and am i am i addicted to sex if i masturbate slash watch porn slash have sex this many times and it that is a much bigger question that we're still hotly debating in the scientific and sex therapy community, but <clears throat> it's, it, it's impossible to say that there is one number. Very often, the exact same amount of sex or porn or masturbation is going to be perceived as completely and perfectly normal for one person and is going to be a source of extreme shame and guilt and worry and anxiety and fear that they are a sex addict for somebody else. And that the only difference could be, you know, what are your values? We know that, for example, religious people think that they are sex addicts a lot more. Religious people who have the exact same amount of sexual activity will often think that they are addicted to sex or that they're doing something, something wrong a lot more often than people with the exact same level of sex drive or sexual uh, activity who are not religious. So, yeah. That's very interesting. It is interesting. Um, another myth that we've heard, or no, okay, you've gotten this actually. Uh, do women actually like giving blowjobs? That's a question somebody wrote to you. <laughs> um, I mean, I know how I feel about right. it. <laughs> like, it, it depends on the day. Sometimes sure. I'm really in. Depends on the the penis yeah uh sometimes i'm like very very in the mood sometimes i'm just like not really in the mood mm -hmm. but what what is your scientific take on this uh, yes some <laughs> there's a lot of diversity again there's nothing sexual that is for everyone and there's no one answer that is going to be true of every single person when it comes to sexuality and blowjobs are no different so there are some women who like them and some women who hate them and some women who are somewhere in between and of course not everything even the things that you love you don't love them every single time and all the time so even if you're someone who's like yay blowjobs are, are amazing there will be times and penises and partners that you don't particularly want to give blowjobs to or less excited about that. But we actually have some data from a nationally representative sample of adults in the US where they asked them how appealing is a, a, a number of like, I, I think uh, they asked about 50 different sexual behaviors. And one of those behaviors is how appealing is giving, blow, uh, giving oral sex. And the numbers are 20% <laughs> of women found blowjobs very appealing 37% found them somewhat appealing. So that comes up to about 60% of women who said that they found blowjobs, giving blowjobs at least somewhat appealing. 
And that, then, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And then 40% said not very appealing and about half of them said not appealing and half of them said not at all appealing. Oh. So about a one in five absolutely hates blowjobs. Mm. About one in five absolutely loves blowjobs. And then you have two fifths who are kind of, yeah, sometimes they're good. And then another fifth who's like, yeah, I'd rather not. These are important stats for you. <laughs> men and women to know mm-hmm. just for yeah. your own knowledge to yeah. think about when you're hooking up if you're a guy if you're like all up in your head while it's happening like she hates this yeah <laughs> just remember she could be in the 67 percent of people that find it somewhat appealing yeah there you go and on that note 58. Or, i'm sorry 58 58 <laughs> not as good but still um on, your odds are lower sorry uh, on that note it is time for our reason of the week breakdown Dr. Jana is an expert in all things sex. She is a sex expert, but now we are going to try to somewhat stump her. We are going to list Uh-oh. a popular myth and a myth that Angela and I pulled out of our butts. And Dr. <laughs> Jana is going to have to guess whether it's a myth going around the internet or if it's one that Angela and I completely made up. It's a game we call the, the rumor, rumor mill. mill. All right, Angela, take it away. Okay, number one, eating pineapple makes your vagina taste better. Is that uh, a popular myth or a myth that we totally made up? You made that up. Really? The well, Kardashians. It was on the Kardashians, actually, that Khloe Kardashian, they tried to test out whether it this popular myth is true. We're not saying, you know. Yeah, to be clear, we're not We're not saying this myth is true. Supposedly, it's kind of true, but not really. Like, yes, what you eat affects your the liquids in your body. But yes, Doctor John, this is a myth wow. that people people are talking about. I knew of of pineapple make, makes your sperm taste better. Oh, like that's a that's a pretty common belief, and no studies have looked at this. Just like there are no studies that have looked at into whether pineapple make, makes your vagina taste better. But it anecdotal evidence does seem to suggest that. Dark fruits and pineapple do make it taste sweeter, yeah. Oh, interesting. So if Dark it fruits. has that effect on sperm, I don't. I see maybe maybe it maybe it would it be possible that it has a similar effect on vaginal secretions. Yeah. Well, there you go. Kardashian, Can't hurt. But no science on this. No science right. on this as of yet. Yes. Well, <laughs> thanks to the Kardashians, this is now a myth going around. So we need to get the science to to figure this out for us. Uh, it's a right. hypothesis for for the time being. It's not a myth because we don't have data to suggest that it's true or not true. Oh, we're getting technical. so right now. It's a hypothesis. It's a hypo- okay, we should call <laughs> it's a theory. this hypothesis. <laughs> hypothesis or bullshit. That's what this, that's what our that's what this quiz should have been called. All right. Next up, rubbing mayonnaise on your palms can make your pheromones stronger and attract a mate. Did we bullshit that or you bullshitted is- that? <laughs> yes, we sure did. <laughs> <laughs> but try it anyway. Who knows? Yeah. Um, next. I mean, you might run into someone who really likes mayo. <laughs> and then it'll work for yeah. you. Um, I hate mayonnaise, so would not work for me. Um, the tip of a woman's pinky is the same length of, as her labia. Is that a myth that's going around or total bullshit? I sure hope it's total bullshit. It okay. is. We made that one up. That is, <laughs> that's not. That's just something we pulled out of our minds. That's not, but, nobody um, else is thinking that but Angela and I. I'm sure for some <laughs> ladies it's true. <laughs> Maybe. Just, yeah. It's just not a rule that like works for everyone. One in a million. Uh, <laughs> is this a popular myth or one we made up? Uh, big feet mean a big penis. That is a popular myth. 
sure is. And supposedly it's not true. Doesn't seem to be true, no. I mean, again, there's not a lot of science on this, unfortunately, but it doesn't seem to be true. Okay, next up. Um, you can't get pregnant on your period. <laughs> it's a popular myth. It exists. It sure is. Yep. You, and apparently you can. Apparently. It, right? Yeah. Like it's very rare, but you can get you can get pregnant on your period. So be careful because uh, yes. towards the end of your bleeding, if you have sex towards the end of your, your bleeding cycle and then actually conceive four or five days later with an like early ovulation, like the mm-hmm. sperm can last that long. So be careful, peeps. Yeah. I mean, chances are low, but it is possible. Yeah. Um, number six, men get boners near copper, which is why it's bad to put pennies in your pockets. Did we make that up or is that a myth going around? You made that up. Yes, we did. <laughs> Sounds like it could be true, though. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Watch out, guys. Um, all right. Uncircumcised penises make you more sensitive. Is that a myth we made up or a myth going around? It's, a, it's going around. It is going around. And like in our like Google, which is mm-hmm. not scientific literature, we found that it was like kind of inconclusive. Is that right? Wow. Yes, you're right. It's inconclusive right now. It's it's a big debate. There are researchers out there who seem to be very uh, keen on on showing that it's wrong, that circumcision doesn't affect sensitivity. And then there are other people who are the intactivists who are very keen on showing the opposite. And so there's a there's a big kind of fight going uh, going around between and to be fair it's really difficult to study how this how could you study because every penis yeah. has different sensitivity you can't I mean I guess like the only way you could maybe study it is if like you took an adult man mm-hmm. who then got circumcised later in life mm-hmm. right is that yeah. like yeah. Really the only way that would be one of the ways of, of doing it because yeah if, if you grew up with either circumcised or uncircumcised penis, that's all you get. You don't know what it would feel like right. to have the other version of, of the penis. So yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult to study. And some studies find that it does uh, seem to, that circumcised uh, men with circumcised penises have a lower sensitivity in some aspects or some areas. And other studies are not finding that, but we're still fighting that out. So, you know, let's... Uh, that's, 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 Time will tell. Yeah, let's maybe. talk about that in like, you know, five years again. All right. Um... <laughs> Yeah, because, yeah, the whole circumcision... I mean, I watched the Adam Ruins Everything yeah. about, like, circumcision, which is... It's basically, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, uh, Adam Ruins Everything is, like com- is a comedy show that, that, like, kind of breaks down... Breaks down different... I mean, I guess... Like, widely held beliefs. beliefs. Yes, that's yeah. a great way to say <laughs> yeah. it. That's what you would say in a pitch room, Angela. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are some obvious... <laughs> Uh, just just thinking through this problem logically, it makes sense that there are a lot of nerve endings in the foreskin. And if you cut that out, then you're cutting out a sensitive part of the penis. That would be like saying, going back to the pinky, <laughs> uh, if, if, you, if you cut off like the top of the oh. pinky and then you ask the question of, is the rest of the penis, or, sorry, is the rest <laughs> of your finger less sensitive? Well, no, probably the, the, the rest of your finger might not be less sensitive, but you're missing that top of the finger, which did have some level of sensitivity, right? So right. leave so, the foreskin on, which a lot of like new like <laughs> liberal peeps are doing. They're like not, circumcision seems to be going down. As, as well as 70% of the rest of the world. Yeah, didn't right. Iceland, was it Iceland that just, or not Iceland? 
Where a country just made it illegal to perform oh, really? circumcisions. I didn't know about oh, that. I did not know about that either. I know like Denmark doesn't circumcise very much. I was just having this talk no, with no, my with No, no, my, not just in Denmark. Well, all, all of, of Europe, Europe. does all of Europe. not circumcise. Yeah, the only, it's like Australia and the US and like, and then some. Yeah, um, Aust- like Australia Jew- less so. Can, uh, Australia and Canada have cer- similar rates of circumcision, which are higher than some other countries, but yeah. lower than the US. Oh, okay. And then the only other countries in the world that circumcise uh, do it for religion. Religious reasons. Religious, yeah. So Muslim countries and Jewish. Jewish countries and or people anywhere will circumcise for religious reasons and the Philippines. It's interesting. Like I, I do feel like a lot of like it's kind of changing in this generation, at least maybe in my little liberal bubble, <laughs> because like uh, my friends that have recently had sons, whether they're Jewish or not, have like decided to not circumcise. I, I don't know any of my friends that have had sons recently that have decided to circumcise uh their sounds I think it's like kind of changing in the younger generation but but I don't know I also live in like a little New York (laughs) liberal bubble I mean if you think about that being unnecessary uh, medically unnecessary body modification that you can go back on Mm -hmm. and that might be something that the person who owns that penis should decide on, you know, which way, which way their penis ends up looking and feeling. So, well, we know right. you're feeling on it. Don't <laughs> do it. All right, we got. Oh, by the way, to clarify about no. Iceland, they introduced a bill to ban circumcision, oh, but they're no. not banned yet. Thank Just you. To- wow, <laughs> I like that we get the yeah. time real, real time updates. All right, we got two more, uh, two more little myths that we're gonna try to stump you on. <laughs> Uh, number eight, double bagging condoms is extra protection against pregnancy. Is that a myth? Some it's a, people it's think? a real myth. And it's not and true. It's inaccurate. Yes. Yeah. We, we found that they can like rub together and break. Is that, that's yeah, right. I've of never, course. Tr- I've never latex tried on latex. It. Yeah. Very dangerous myth to believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it increases friction and if you increase friction, you increase chances of it breaking. It's like yeah. rubbing two balloons together. Exactly. Never yes. Good. Just use <laughs> one condom guys. And lube. And, and lube. And lube. Yeah. Okay, last one, Angela. Give it to us. Okay. People who are into hentai porn are more likely to have children who play the piano. <laughs> you made that up. <laughs> we pulled that out of our butts. <laughs> right. Straight out the butt. Straight out of the butt. Um you pretty so much wrong you pretty butt. much ace this. Um I got one wrong. One. I feel but, terrible. But that was Dan a little, Kardashian. No, that was a little <laughs> tricky because, you know, I don't expect a PhD Dr. Jana to be watching the Kardashians. So, I really don't. <laughs> um, well, guys, we hope we've cleared up this week's reason because that is it for this week's This Is Why You're Single podcast. Thank you so much to our guest, Dr. Jana. Please follow her uh, on Twitter. Her Twitter is amazing at Dr. Jana. That's D-R-Z-H. A-N-A. Um, for our own plugs, you can check out our book. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and we've got our audio book available on Audible. You can also get hooked up with discounts from all of our sponsors. For a full list of sponsors and the codes, check out our podcast page on thisiswhyyoursingleshow.com. We are on social ourselves. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Your Single Show. Please like and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week for a whole new show. Bye. Bye. This is why you're single. 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 That was a headgum podcast.